And so before we continue to submerge into the study of the unsearchable inheritance of Christ, the unchanging epigraph of the study of our inheritance is the book of Luke, the uh, 24th chapter 44th verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so for us as the participants of the body of Christ to share together with Christ all the things that are to be fulfilled that are written about him in Scripture, we will continue our study of our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth in the heart, looking at what we need to do from our side to receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life and put on the new way of life. Ephesians 4.22-24 through 24, That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which is created in accordance to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is an incredible command, commandment of God. For some reason, it is ignored by the church. In what way are they planning to enter heaven, not putting off their old man, who grows corrupt according to their deceitful lusts, not even understanding or being able to identify this? Because in in uh, the state of the old man, you can evangelize, sing, do many things, practice spiritual gifts, and still go to hell. To fulfill this commanding order, as we know, we have been studying three vital, charging, and fundamental acts that have become the base of our thorough study to put off, be renewed, and put on. We have noted that it is specifically your decision regarding these three destiny-affecting acts to put off, be renewed, and put on that will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. Because salvation is given to us in the format of a guarantee. And if we do not turn this guarantee so that we can obtain profit, then we will lose our salvation forever and our names will then be blotted out of the book of life. In a specific format, we've already studied the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. All of these three are a process. This is not an instant thing. This is a process that we need to apprehend by being instructed in the faith and relevant to clothing ourselves into the power of our new person who contains the power of the resurrection of Christ and all armor of light. We've concluded that we really need God's help in the form of his redeeming mercy. We need God's help so that we can cast off the old person with his deeds. We need God's help to be renewed by the spirit of our mind. And we need God's help so that we can 
clothe ourselves into our new person. The means of receiving any kind of help, this help, demonstrated in the form of the inheritance of the mercies of God, is the armor of prayer, or worship in spirit and in truth. We have noted that the genesis of prayer is inherent to the genesis of God, as it's always existed and revealed itself there where God abides. Therefore, the extent or degree of our knowledge of the will of God, which we are studying in the three functions to put off the old man, be renewed by the spirit of our mind and clothe ourselves into our new person absolutely depends on the extent of our understanding of the genesis of prayer. Prayer is the language of God, the means given to us by God, and the legitimate right to communicate with God. A person that does not possess the legitimate right to communicate with God will never ever be able to understand the essence of prayer, this unique language of God, that few only are able to really understand or penetrate. Erecting an altar identifying the state of the heart and motives of a, of a worshiper of God as well as the sacrifice that is brought upon such an altar identifying the legit and rightful status of prayer belonged exclusively to those people that were clothed into the rightful virtue and status of a priest. A person that is clothed into the rank and virtue of a priest is a person that is clothed into the virtue of a legitimate median. This person is trusted by God with the right by the means of legitimate prayer that satisfies the demands of his will and is his language to approach God and enter into the presence of God in order to present his rights and his interests that are demonstrated in his will. One of these prayers is written in the 143rd Psalm of David, and this psalm opens up the conditions based upon which a person is called to form a legitimate foundation for God so that God's mercy may intervene into <clears throat> our life as well as the boundaries of those areas that we rule over and that we carry responsibility for before God. The psalm has become the subject of our next studies. Here's our prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. It has become our prayer and is called to be the prayer of all saints, all generations, all times, because all saints are placed in dependence of their old person, and in order to be freed from their old person, you need to take the words of prayer and come to God. Here, these words are written how we are to pray about being delivered from our old person so that we can be renewed by the spirit of our mind and put on our new person. Give my... Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness. A person prays according to the truth. He confirms that he prays according to God's truth. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. And so to live in darkness or dwell in darkness is to be impacted by the old person, being impacted by your own personal lusts, your ambitions that are flaming, they're burning as hellfire, and they burn a person and draw him into hell. And however he may 
put on the form of godliness outwardly. God knows what's inside, and David opens up this horror that's within him and puts it into words. He has made me dwell in, dark, in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the works of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. He knew with his own works he will never be delivered. And so he says, My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. This talks about the fact that God hid his face for uh, during the specific times of the life of David because God was not able to look at his old person. He covered his face when he covers his face when we are being impacted by our old person. Further, he, say, he says, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in your resurrection. For in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. That means he lost his soul and brought it upon an altar to God. He rejected his soul. He lost it because lifting up your soul is not just praying. It's making the decision to lose your soul. That's your nation, the house of your father, and your destructive desires. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Without the Holy Spirit, to be led into the land of uprightness is not possible. The land of uprightness is his body that was supposed to be delivered from corruption and the stronghold of life was to be established. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. That is, resurrect me. Lead me out of the death that I'm in. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Psalm 143, 1-12. The scriptures say that we need to save our souls. When we receive salvation, we receive it in the format of a guarantee. And now we need to save our souls. And to save our souls, we need to invest our salvation, turn it to profit as a guarantee. That is, we need to lose our soul. That is, to turn it to profit. The phrase, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, indicates the early morning that follows the dark night. And this morning symbolizes the resurrection of Christ, which we can see in the law of the spirit of life, which is called to deliver our body from the law of sin and death. And so destroy the stronghold of death within our body and erect the stronghold of the resurrection of Christ in its place. The stronghold of death is what our old person depends on. This is his base. This is his armor. This is what he relies upon. And when the stronger one enters, that is the reigning grace, 
the first thing he does is he destroys this stronghold. He takes the armor of the stronger one and with it destroys the stronghold of death. In order for David, as well as us, to hear the mercy of God early in the power of the resurrection of Christ, as a result of the given to us by God redemption that is in Christ Jesus and by Christ Jesus, it was necessary for David and necessary for us to present God a legitimate foundation or a specific right that is imprinted upon the tablets of our heart. A legitimate foundation upon the tablets of our heart in the given prayer are ten unique in their nature arguments, identified as the governing and almighty words of God, converted into promises as an inheritance and commandment that we need to present to God as the consistency of our heart, telling God, hear me in your faithfulness and righteousness. Hear me for the sake of remembering the days of old and all of your works. Hear me for I spread out my hands to you. Hear me for in you do I trust. Hear me for I lift up my soul to you. Hear me because in you I take shelter. This is a requirement that he's fulfilling. Hear me because you are my God. I have no other gods. I do not pay attention to other gods. I do not have idols. And as we talk about, the most terrible idols are anointing, gifts of the Holy Spirit, and blessing are the most terrible idols in the nation of God, the most dangerous idols that Christianity for the most part worships and they try to find it because when we attempt to receive these things not knowing God himself and not being in the right state before God this becomes our idol we are called to seek not blessing but the blesser not anointing but the anointer not gifts of the Holy Spirit but the giver of them when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are offered then that means that the master of it is still the Holy Spirit and he distributes them as he pleases and gives to whomever he wants when he wants. And so if you can imagine, there are churches that uh, get together and teach how to practice spiritual gifts. Nothing will work. It's not possible to learn how to practice spiritual gifts. It is possible to learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit. When you learn to be led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself will use you as a vessel of his own so that he can demonstrate one of his gifts when he finds need. Jesus did not use gifts as he found uh, correctly or in the right time. He offered himself to God and when the Holy Spirit told him, Father, the Father is sending you to Bethesda, to one person. He had walked an entire way, and he healed only one person. There were a lot of sick people there. If the Holy Spirit told him to go somewhere, he went there. He couldn't heal anyone he wanted to, but only the one that God wanted to. And he would tell him, by the Holy Spirit. And so in the previous services, 
We already looked at the nature of the first argument and stopped to study the second argument. This is evidence that David's heart contained memories of the days of old and all of the works that were done by God in those old days, which David confessed and presented in prayer. These works of old are the works of redemption in order to adopt the human body by the redemption of Christ because God's purpose is to live within the body of a person within the body of a person sometimes people think that it's enough that he lives in the heart he lives in the heart in order for you to use those abilities to save your soul and then by your soul you would save then your body you would be able to adopt them because God will do all of these things by your and my confessions and in order to confess it you need to first hear about it receive it by faith and then confess it and then God will take your words of confession and will perform miracles that are necessary in order to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ and so <clears throat> we've noted that the symbol of the e evidence is the breastplate of judgment of the high priest which was an item of unique and continual remembrance before God, identifying with itself the legitimate example of continual prayer. That we as kings and priests of the new covenant are to approach God in Christ Jesus and constantly be in communication with Him. And this breastplate of judgment was created for and served only one element, sacral element within the heart of man. This is the Urim and Thummim, the presence of which allowed God to hear man and allowed man to hear God. A person that did not, does not possess within his heart the Urim and the Thummim is not able to hear God and God does not listen to him. He does not listen. To hear is one thing, but he doesn't listen because to listen is to fulfill. When you say when God listens in the, it's always in this in the sense of him fulf, uh, fulfilling what you request, and so having the presence of the Urim and Thummim allows a person to hear God in his heart and allows this person to and allows God to hear this person. And you say, well, Hagar didn't have the Urim and Thummim, and God responded to her. Read attentively. The Urim and Thummim is something Abraham had. And God promised to Abraham that he will bring forth from Ishmael 12 princes. And when Ishmael was dying together in the wilderness with Hagar from thirst, God did not listen to Hagar. He heard the young, the young boy that already understood who, who he was. He was 12 years old. He understood that he's the son of Abraham, and he turned to God as the son of Abraham. And God heard the voice of the young man in the wilderness, and the angel appeared to Hagar. She got lost, and then he pointed out a well to her where she was able to drink a spring of water. God hears only a person in whose heart there is a Urim and Thummim. And we know that the Thummim is the elementary principles of Jesus Christ, the truth, and Urim is the Holy Spirit that reveals this truth in the heart. The symbol of the breastplate of judgment discovers itself in the conscience of a man that is cleansed from dead works upon the tablets of whom and the twelve names of the patriarchs, the example of the status of legitimate prayer in 
is in accordance to the demands of the elementary principles of Jesus Christ. These 12 names of the patriarchs contain the 12 names of God. The 12 names of the apostles, there are also 12 names of God. Sometimes people uh, ask me, show me the 50 names. Understand that all of the names that the prophets uh, were called, not just the apostles, were also God's names. And so if you attentively look, you will find that. But what is important for us is what the Holy Spirit offers. The 12 gold settings is the ruling truth of the elementary principles of Jesus Christ, which identifies the order of the given law of God in righteousness and holy truth that we as worshipers of God are called to demonstrate before God's face in the legitimate foundation or basis of our continual prayer. The twelve precious stones with the, with the engraved upon them as a signet names of the sons of Israel as a symbol and format of our continual prayer presenting with itself the perfect judgments of God contained in the elementary principles of Jesus Christ. With this we conclude that it wasn't the golden settings in the form of the truth of the Word of God that were adjusted in size and configuration to the precious stones, but the precious stones in the form of our prayers are the ones that are adjusted in size and configuration to fit the golden settings of truth, which is why the revelation of God in the form of the Urim, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, can only exist within the boundaries of the truth, which is the in the heart of a man is the Thummim, the principles of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. As it is written, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Exodus 31, 6. You'll say, well, Christ's principles don't exist here. Yes, they do. I will put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. Here's talking about the building of the temple. This is, of course, symbolic. We're called to build of ourselves a spiritual house, a holy house, a holy priesthood, so that we can offer him spiritual sacrifices. The friendship of the Thummim and Urim within the heart of a person is the unification of two formats of godly wisdom, and the scriptures state that the carriers of the Thummim and Urim are the true worshippers of God and possess the immune system of the Holy Spirit as, say, an ambassador in another country that is not able to be harmed or touched. In a specific format, we've already looked at seven qualities that the heart of a warrior in prayer possesses in the first seven precious stones of the breastplate of judgment by which God can continually bring about His will upon planet Earth. And stop to study the eighth quality and the eighth precious stone upon the breastplate of judgment of, of our heart presented in the virtue of the precious agate stone. The name carved upon the second precious stone is the name of Asher. He is the eighth son of Jacob, and his name means a captive of blissfulness or blessing. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Genesis 30, 12 through 13. When translated from the Greek word agat, it means blessed, which absolutely corresponds to the meaning of the name Asher. 
a captive of bliss or blessing written upon this stone. The name of God presented in the precious agate, according to the conclusions of a Jewish rabbinate, is El Elyon, which means Most High. Very many names, uh, say even in the Russian language, are grouped together. So, But in the Hebrew language, there are many names sometimes. Here, El Elyon, as it is, Most High which directs to the unlimited and sovereign authority or power of God in his unlimited expanse which he fills with himself due to his omnipresence as well as the created by him visible and invisible creation that expands endlessly and does not have an end. God does not have a start or a finish. He is eternal or he has no end. He's endless. And he fills it all with himself. And we think that when he fills it, that there's some kind of finish line. But there is no finish line. That's how our Heavenly Father is. According to the meaning of the name Asher, the eighth principle in the foundation of, of our continual prayer is the function demonstrated in our voluntary dependence of becoming a blessed captive of God so that we, with our prayer, would collaborate with the name of God Most High. The most, the, a continual prayer is the most powerful form of prayer. There's no more active form of prayer than a continual prayer. It can literally do everything. Everything that God has promised, continual prayer can accomplish. As soon as a person removes continual the element of continu continuity and begins fasting and doing other things without the continual prayer, he loses because fasting and praying in tongues is not continual and cannot be continual and is not called to be continual. But the nature of continual prayer is communication with God that is not in any way uh, defiled by sin or interrupted by sin. Relevant to the subject, we've already studied a series of parables and events that we became familiar with and their conditions. We learned that we can fulfill these conditions by the name of God El Elyon or God Most High and destroy the stronghold of death within our body in the form of, a re of reigning sin. This reigning sin identified as the essence of the old person with his deeds so that we would cast him from out of our body to hell with noise and afterwards erect the stronghold of the kingdom of heaven in the form of the stronghold of eternal life in the place of the stronghold of death and stop to look at the next condition this condition consists in the 18th psalm of David where the Holy Spirit with the right that he alone has reveals the conditions based upon which we are called to collaborate with the, our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon or God Most High and this condition consists so that we in the circumstances of our hardship when we are in this hardship in our life we then we are putting off this old person. We can call upon the Most High as to our God and confess the faith of our hearts, stating who got us to us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and who we are to God in Christ Jesus. We've noted that this story is one of the most powerful and voluminous symbols where we see the collaboration of our renewed mind in the form of King David and the name of God Most High, and also the confrontation of our renewed mind with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul, together with reigning sin in the form of our old person with his deeds. Samuel said, You and your sons tomorrow will be with me, because you had turned to the witch 
uh, for answers, and David will be freed then from him. And this psalm then was written by David when God delivered David from all his enemies and the hand of Saul also. Because it is by the means of the confession of the faith of the heart, stating who God is to us in Christ Jesus, what God has done in Christ Jesus, and who we are to God in Christ Jesus, God can receive the required basis or grounds to join the battle for our earthly bodies in order to shame the old person by the power of his redemption and forever cast him out into hell with noise. In character, the prayer psalm of David contains three parts where we see an example of the character of legitimate prayer. The first part identifies the condition or state of David's heart, that's the altar, which was the proper grounds for the legitimate status of his prayer. The second part reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer, which gave God the basis to deliver David from the hand of his enemies. The third part describes the prayer battle itself, which surpasses the comprehension of the human mind, because it is written in an epic format. In a specific format, we've already looked at the first part and stopped to study the second part, which reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer in the eight names of God Most High. Getting to know and confessing the power contained in the heart of David in the eight following names of God allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised to be saved from his enemies and for God discovering the truth revealing the power of his names in the heart of David provided God proper grounds to use his abilities that consist in his eight names to battle against the enemies of David what we will confess is what the Holy Spirit will use in his battle for our bodies. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 1 through 3. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my strength in whom I will trust. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is the horn of my salvation. And the Lord is my stronghold. In a specific format, we've already looked at the inheritance that we have and the power contained in the strength in the, God, in the name of God's strength and have turned to look at our lot in the power of a rock as the name of God most high that in inner consistency contains an unearthly form of hardness this is inherent to the nature of our heavenly father and is in no way something that can be comprehended by the abilities of the simple human mind it needs to be comprehended with the heart or the mind of Christ. We note that this nature of prayer where David confesses his inherited lot in the existing names of God Most High is purposed to be the calling, a strategic teaching, and purposed to be the calling and mantle of a king, a priest, and a prophet anointed by the Holy Spirit to rule over their earthly body. God anoints us <clears throat> in order to fulfill this great calling. This is his interest in order to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ. And if a person is not anointed to reign over his calling, if he's never heard of it, how can he be anointed? If he's always being told, why are you sitting here, go and evangelize. 
because people are convinced that they will save the world because they will save other people. And often people come and ask me, I have not brought one person to Christ, will I be saved? And I told them, if you under, have this form of understanding, you, don't, you won't have salvation because you will have salvation when you bear fruit to God. When you receive the seed of salvation and grow the seed, and when you become a light to the world, then you will not be able to follow them or chase after them. They will come to you themselves as the ones who like the light will come to the light. And so, therefore, the quality in Lexus or vocabulary identifying a rock in the sense of hardness that we are studying has no relation to the definition of the word as it exists in the dictionaries of this world. Since a rock in the sense of hardness is an identification and specification of the quality and nature of God exclusively. In scripture, the definition of the word rock as the characteristic hard relating to the natural quality of God most high is illustrated in the following way. Hard is resistant, strong, healthy. It's not talking about our body. It's talking about the uh, sober nature of our mind. Resistant, strong, healthy, wise, tested or tried, rooted, well-established, immovable, constant, continual, fearless, unquenchable and undiminishing, free from sin and independent from sin, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that our body being carnal as it is right now or mortal does not inherit the kingdom of heaven. In order to inherit the kingdom of heaven, our body needs to be changed. You need to remove the corruption from it and make it immortal. <clears throat> and Christianity thought that this is only possible after this life. When people are resurrected from the dead, then you become incorrupt and immortal. Yes, many will resurrect immortal, but not everyone. Not everyone. Because many Christians will remain to lay until the day of judgment because they did not have the heart in their uh, the truth in their heart everything that god gives to us he gives to us what's in our heart he reads what's upon our heart and listening to what we're saying and uses that the quality of a rock as it refers to hardness pertaining to, pertaining to the name of god most high is found in scripture in these forms Hard as stone, cliff, a span, a measuring wreath or a rod, heaviness, weight, and scales. And this means a specific weight by which you can determine the price and worth of the weight individual or item. As it is written, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. God has weighed his promises that he gave us and he has weighed his covenant. He knows the weight of his covenant and his promises. And we also need to know that weight. When he says who, then we need to also know them. If we don't know the weight of God's promises that we are called to receive to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ, then nothing will happen. We need to know them and weigh ourselves whether we are in accordance to that weight. 
who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice, who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket, and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a ver very little thing. Isaiah 40, 12 through 15. Therefore, the inherited lot contained in the power of the name of God, Rock, contains the ability of the Most High to judge, to measure, or weigh upon the scale of His godly justice all the made by Him creation in order to reward or punish each according to their results, whether it is good or evil that lived in your body. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. This was for Belshazzar. As you remember, uh, he decided to use the vessels of the house of the Lord to drink. And this is the writing, the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. One word, two sentences. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Again, one word, two sentences. Peres, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And in this night, if you continue to read, they say that his soul will be taken from him. And so these three words are the words of uh, the language of tongues or the angelic language. According to what we've learned here, to be clothed into the power of a rock of the Lord is to be clothed into the fear of the Lord, that is, into wisdom that comes from above, giving us the ability to judge or to weigh upon the scale plates of the Lord, first ourselves and then those people that we are responsible for. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 25.13-16 Scales or scale plates of the Lord pertaining to the name of God Rock is the absolute power and ability of the Most High, identified as His wisdom to fairly judge or weigh all the made by Him creation, so that each one weighed upon the plates of these scales receive His reward according to their results. Weights of the Most High are commandments and statutes of the Lord, according to which He judges or weighs upon the scale plates of justice and made Him and by made by him creation. And so he puts us upon one scale plate and his justice upon the other. And if we are in balance or in accordance to that weight, then we will be rewarded. And if our weight does not correspond to that commandment or the weight of it, we will not be rewarded, of course. We will not be able to inherit the kingdom of heaven or salvation. Therefore, to possess the power of the Most High, consisting in His name Rock, is to possess power to the right to judge yourself and judge those people that we carry responsibility for, and to judge within the boundaries and parameters of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. You need to weigh the words and actions upon the scale plates of justice of the Most High, as well as the words and actions of those people that we carry responsibility for. <clears throat> for example, I weigh myself like this. As soon as I say the incorrect word, or an incorrect word, I know I did, I immediately take it back. As soon as I uh, say there are words you shouldn't say, 
I don't want you to have this illusion that I am uh, guiltless in this. I'm as you are. Apostle uh, James said, we all sin much, meaning in word. And so I include, I'm included in that number, knowing that I am vigilant, and as soon as I said the incorrect thing, I immediately take it back. I say, Lord, I do not agree with what I said. I take it back. Forgive me. And I thank you that I am justified. Satan cannot then condemn me for those words, because I am the owner of those words. I spoke the word. I took it back. There's a saying, there's a saying as when you say a word that you can't catch it afterwards, but God gave us the ability to be able to catch these robins so that we can only release doves. That is, I think you understand, every incorrect word that is stated, take it back immediately, and when you take it back, you're pure because... And you will begin to learn this and not easily say these kinds of things going forward. And to apprehend and be clothed into the unearthly virtue of a rock in the sense of the characteristic hardness containing the name of God Most High, which satisfies our hunger and our thirst and gives power over our calling, we came to the necessity to look at four classical questions. What, in essence, is the characteristic of hardness? What purpose is the characteristic of hardness called to fulfill in our prayer? What price do we need to pay in order to be clothed into the characteristic of hardness? And what, by what results do we judge that we truly possess the characteristic of hardness? We note that all of the names of God discover themselves in each other because they are dissolved in one the other, come one from the other, and demonstrate one in the other, empower one the other, and identify the truthful nature of one the other. Therefore, in the given Psalm of David, the eight names of God Most High are presented in the form of a sequence where each succeeding name is a demonstration of the previous name, or discovers itself in the following after itself name. In a specific format, we've already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What price do we need to pay in order to have the right to clothe our spirit into the characteristic of the hardness of God so that God would receive the legitimate basis to keep us in his perfect peace? As it is written, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26, 3. In a specific format, we've already looked at the price of four conditions that when fulfilled are called to clothe their spirit into a rock of the Lord therefore we will turn to look at the fifth condition this is to consist in implementing God's order into your calling or subject your calling to the structure of God by the means of righteous judgment Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves will shall judge, so it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all the people will also to to this place of peace. Exodus 18, 21 through, through 23. I will remind us that the legitimacy 
and ability to judge with a just judgment already by itself identifies our spirit having the quality of a rock of God. First, each one of us is called to judge themselves and those people that we are responsible for in accordance to the demands of the order that functions in the body of Christ in order to know within what boundaries we are called to submit ourselves to the word of authority. The wife and then the husband also needs to know uh, what they should fulfill and what they shouldn't within the relationship. The children need to know what they need to obey when it comes to, uh, to things that the parents may tell us to do. If a parent demands you to do something that's out of scripture, uh, you aren't required to do it. Or as you know, there are situations of times someone calls and asks for the mother and the mother says, tell them I'm not home and the child's telling them that the mother's not home. Don't teach your children to lie. And so we've noted that we need to know that the rock quality of our spirit first consists in the fact that each one of us has specific things for which we are called to carry responsibility for and make decisions for. And if we will not be doing this and give the initiative to our neighbor, husband, wife, children, pastor, uh, mayor of, this, of the city, a policeman in the street, we not only will lose our own sovereignty, but we'll also encourage our neighbor to break our sovereign boundaries. While looking at the qualities which are the price for the right to possess the virtue of a rock of God within our spirit so that we can rule over ourselves in accordance to the demands that are implemented by God in Scripture, we decided to look at the first phrase of the studied by us text, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such. We yield four characteristics from this writing that we need to have so that our spirit could be clothed into a rock of the Most High, giving us the right to the power to rule over ourselves, as well as over those people that we carry responsibility for before God. In the previous services, we already in a specific format studied two conditions, giving us the ability to be clothed into the rock of the Most High and have been studying the third condition and that is to be a man of truth. To be a man of truth is to be a fair man or to stand guard of the code of righteousness in accordance to which we are called to think, speak, and act. Relevant to the subject, we turn to a place of scripture where, t uh, where we see ten components by which we need to determine how much we are corresponding to the requirement to be a man of truth in order to allow God to clothe us into the inherent into the inherent to him quality of a rock. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who is called is faithful, who also will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15-24. And so 10 
conditions here do not render evil for evil to anyone. Always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. Rejoice always. Pray, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things that are good to God. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Considering that the definition of being a man of truth is to stand guard of your dedication by the means of continuous sanctification, I will remind us that from one angle, sanctification of what is being dedicated is separating the pure from impure and the holy from unholy. And from the other angle, sanctification of what is being dedicated is to be vigilant in prayer where we keep or protect our heart from all kinds of evil and foreign thoughts. We already looked at the first two two conditions, therefore we will immediately pay attention to the third condition. The third requirement of being a man of truth in your dedication to God by the path of sanctification is to rejoice always. Joy, the antonym of it is sorrow or brokenness. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs 17.22 Bones are the faith of a person that dries out and dies. A merry heart does good. Medics have concluded that when a person laughs inside of his body, in his cells, uh, there's a restorative process that begins. And the body begins to become begin to actively uh, confront uh, the illness and uh, among the medics there's a discipline that exists that you need to uh, treat with laughter and so they'll bring uh, people to them uh, that will make them laugh not understanding that that this kind of joy or laughter can't heal. Here it's talking about a different uh, uh, laughter or joy. When you rejoice that the Lord has forgiven your sins, that joy, when Satan condemns you and you say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, I'm justified. And this joy, it develops within the body, the antibodies. And so... Again, this is a specific joy. Considering the exceeding nature and vitality of the discipline of upright joy in order to be a man of truth, it is necessary for us to remember what the scriptures tell us about the virtue of upright joy. What what value or weight does upright joy possess? What is its purpose and in what way do we demonstrate it in our prayer? To determine the essence of unearthly joy as well as the condition we need to fulfill in order to clothe our spirit into the rock of the Most High, it is necessary first to shed some light on the following aspects. The identification of the essence and purpose of the fruit of joy in prayer. The price of obtaining and demonstrating the fruit of joy. This is when we demonstrate again the fruit of joy. Keeping and increasing the fruit of joy. If we don't increase this fruit of joy. And so, again, if we're not increasing it, we are losing or wasting it. The fruit and fruits and rewards for demonstrating upright joy in prayer. Question one, with what measure or measuring tool do we determine the wellspring of unearthly joy? What qualities does unearthly joy have? And what purpose is concealed in the wellspring from which unearthly joy flows? Which is medicating, which is healing for the spirit, soul, and body. 
it can heal from any depression, it can drive away any cancer, and can heal any illness in the body and soul. I will remind us that in Scripture and the quality and character demonstrated in the word joy are ascribed in our relationship with God as a commandment and edict as a requirement that cannot be disputed and as a direct military order that you cannot bypass. In other words, if it is not obeyed, the penalty is eternal death or a final break of your relationship that is contained in your covenant with God. Apostle uh, Jude, summing up his short epistle to the Church of Christ, highlighted the quality of joy and gave it special significance as a necessary element of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, considering the fact that the unfading glory of God abides within the atmosphere of upright joy and as a demonstration of upright joy, from one angle, according to the written statement, we can see, we can conclude that fault in unearthly joy or blemish in unearthly joy exists when we do not provide God proper basis to keep us from stumbling into death in order to, to be placed before the glory, before his exceeding joy. And from the other angle, fault or joy, or fault in your joy, which is the unfading glory of God in Hebrew means stains of stains of sin, bleakness and justice, identifying impurity, abomination, and deception. The reason for such blemish or fault in the Lord's joy is the conscience that is not cleansed from dead works, and that is by the truth of the blood of Christ from dead works. The cleanse, cleansing your conscience from dead works by the truth of the Blood of Christ means refuse your soul in the form of your nation, the house of your father, and your destructive desires that are clothed into dead works of personal good work and self-willed service. A person that has not allowed the Holy Spirit to deliver him from the blemish of dead works in unearthly joy, which is the glory of God, will not be allowed into heaven, as it is written, but there shall be by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21:27. Practically, by having the virtue of upright joy within our spirit, will impact not just our present but also our future. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger, in thirst, nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48. And this curse is confirmed from the two mountains. Therefore, identification of the essence contained in the word joy is directly linked to the quality of our faith in relation with God's faith or the quality of our obedience to the will of God. First, the presence of upright joy within our spirit will be a direct result of the fact that the nature of this joy comes from our upright heart and it will be so in state as well as its demonstration. If within our heart the atmosphere of upright joy will be that reveals itself in the unfading glory of God. There's a root difference, in root difference between, or fundamental difference between earthly 
joy, or regular joy which has its roots, its wellspring, and its beginning in carnal flesh and supernatural joy that have its distinctive roots in God, its distinctive wellspring in God, and its distinctive beginning in God. Two natures of joy, these are absolutely two diametrically opposite one from the other qualities and understandings of joy in their genesis as well as their demonstration. Two natures of joy are two battling between each other programs planted into a programmable system of the human heart. And since the human heart is the programmable system, the nature of joy that a person gives preference to will cloak him and will become ruler within his essence. Why do people drink alcohol? This is a specific form of drug in order to make his body feel good and as he's not receiving joy from the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit and not drink wine, it says. And so they don't have then this godly joy in their heart and without this joy, a person cannot be go to heaven because this is a component of the fruits of the tree of life. And if we give preference to earthly joy, then it first will be the means by which we build our relationship with God, and second will be oppressing and suppressing unearthly joy. If we will give preference to the, fr the fruit of joy that is grown from the seed of truth that comes from above, then it will also be the way we measure or level our relationship with God. Unlike earthly joy, which are emotions of the soul, and suppress holy joy, which is an atmosphere of the glory of God that comes into our spirit from God in the discipline of information, joy uh, that is heavenly will not suppress or oppress the joy that is earthly, but it will be the opposite, will clothe it in, into its own virtue, and will discipline and level it so that in specific conditions, you can use it then to also worship God. Just as it is necessary for us to pray in the spirit, to edify our spirit, and pray with our mind, to edify our mind. For example, then the 30 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Luke 10, 17-20. You see, he was not suppressing the joy that they had. He just redirected that joy that he had to the proper goal. And he re redirected it to the fact that their names are written in heaven. He, God does not want emotional joy to be uh, suppressed. He wants it to be redirected properly, that it be clothed into this unearthly joy and have the right goals. Due to its supernatural essence, unearthly joy is not able to be experienced or felt in physical emotions because unlike earthly joy, it is not an emotion or some kind of feeling that lifts your mood. Supernatural joy is a discipline of the mind and heart 
which is the atmosphere of the glory of God, creating peace within the heart of man and leading his hot and emotional horse. Upright joy is one of the unchanging elements and names of God himself and also those that are born from him. The children of God, the quality of joy, that is of the heavenly beginning can be received in no other way but only by being instructed in the faith in the seed of the word of grace and in the Holy Spirit that is able to grow the seed into upright joy so that he can place us before the glory of the heavenly father and of course we need to be directly uh taking part in this discipline and, and disciplining our will and our mind and heart. And so supernatural joy in its genesis as well as its demonstration is stable, is continual, unchanging, and absolutely does not depend on worldly circumstances or situations or to satisfy uh, your desires. As it is written about those in Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. 2 Corinthians 8.2 And in the chapter higher, Apostle Paul speaks these things, I am filled with comfort and I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. 2 Corinthians 7.4 According to these places of scripture, being filled with, ex- uh, with supernatural joy, does not have anything to do with and does not depend on any losses that you may have here on earth. Earthly joy, unlike supernatural joy, is temporary and short and is able to shake at any time and is always dependent on outwardly factors. For example, identifying earthly joy and earthly Laughter. It says in Job twenty, uh, Job twenty-five, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. Proverbs fourteen thirteen. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. And so many that may try to. Uh, Uh, make other people laugh those that are entertainers often are people that uh, are seeing psychologists and are getting uh, help themselves because they're not truly or sincerely happy in your heart uh, if there's going to be a word tomorrow or not if there's something going to change tomorrow or not you don't worry about those things because you know you're with God as they told one brother, uh, they, a Christian man, they said, if you don't stop doing this, we'll kill you. But he said, you can't scare me with heaven. Paul said, death is, uh, is just uh, something that I cannot, that will just be a privilege for me because he'll go to heaven. And so, when it comes to people that are unclean, that have filled the churches today, the Apostle Paul Apostle James says, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And so, replacing heavenly joy with earthly joy and relying upon this earthly joy, uh, God will bring these people to judgment that do this. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Ecclesiastes 11.9
in order to confirm the short-lived nature and idleness and meaningless nature of earthly joy separate from being ruled over being controlled and ruled by the joy that is uh, that leads to eternal life I will remind us of some sayings in regards of earthly joy of men who had a sober mentality reclusus our joy bitter insanity a sick dream life a drunk up cup without pleasure absence of peace this is a Russian poet that had written this describing joy here's Pushkin a Russian idol himself described it Everything is just in vain, it's just worthless. And people worship and remember this person. He himself called himself, everything is pretty much worthless and meaningless. Earthly joy is just a blink before eternity that waits for us. Uh, accessible joy does not gi give or, or bring sincere uh, satisfaction or joy. Joy is a habit of mind. Joy is short. Or gladness is joy. Joy is continual. Is a person that looks like maybe knew a little bit more about the truth. In our life, there life pa uh, joy passes by. And there cannot be sincere joy if the conscience is unclean. A person that is not able to be uh, cheered up, you can't expect anything good. People who are able to be happy are not bound to money. People who are bound to money are not able to be joyful. They think that they're uh, joyful, but they're not actually receiving satisfaction from this. And now I want to turn to a unique wisdom of the Holy Scriptures in ident identifying unearthly joy and look at its heavenly qualities and the atmosphere of its glory and its natural qualities in God. And looking at these qualities of unearthly joy, we will be looking at them as something that's in the heart of a person that has grown from the imperishable seed of truth. To identify the wellspring of upright joy, we will start with God as the beginner and the personified joy. God, by his eternal and unchanging nature, is the God of joy and gladness. And God is also the wellspring and example of this upright joy. Which is why this upright joy is not just a quality and atmosphere in which God abides, but is also one of his glorious names with which God glorifies over his enemies. He's glorified over his enemies. And so, how can a perfect and glorious uh, joy come from him if he by nature would not have been the beginning and creator of this wonderful joy? Then I will go to the altar of God. David says this. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43, 4, 5. And so, again, you cannot... To glory, he says... <clears throat> why are you disquieted? Because the soul, it's disquieted because of uh, situations, outwardly situations. And he turns the eyes of his heart uh, and his soul to, the eyes of his soul to the 
things happening within, considering that God is the God of joy and gladness, and the place where God abides, of course, is also the place of joy. Honor and majesty are before him, strength and gladness are in his place. First Chronicles 16.27, the whole, uh, holy place where the Lord abides, the great and powerful God abides, is the heights of the heavens, the temple where God abides, that's the chosen by God remnant, and a humble and contrite heart of the righteous person where God abides. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Isaiah 57, 15. The next element identifying the wellspring of upright joy within the heart of man is the uh, cor uh, chief cornerstone of our justification, that is the Lord Jesus, that has pl been placed by God into our heart. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what, to what were its foundation fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job 38, 4-7. If the essence of these questions are studied... Uh, not in a form of <clears throat> of uh, with the human heart or trying to understand them not with the human heart then this will bring us into an erroneous way but we will read a place of scripture where we see joy that was in the heart of a person who found a field and found a treasure in a field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew 13:44. In this parable, the symbol of the field is a supernatural aspect of the wise heart of man, where the Urim and Thummim are, and who is in the Urim and Thummim to sell everything so that we can possess the uh, field of the wise heart and the treasure that's in it is with joy die for your nation the house of your father and your destructive desires that are cloaked into personal good work and gladly deny these things if a person does not gladly die he will not be able to die for these things but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the, to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. The next component of upright joy for all those that are purpose for salvation is our heart. <clears throat> is within our heart the in, incarnated Messiah. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out 
out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. When we obtain salvation, we rejoice. They are the springs of salvation. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is power and not joy. You will receive power. Joy you already have. If you have if you didn't have joy, you would not have received the power of the Holy Spirit. Because some something if they received the power of the Holy Spirit, they'll receive some kind of joy. <clears throat> The city of David where Jesus was born was Bethlehem, that in Hebrew is the city of bread. The symbol of the city within our essence is our heart that is born from the imperishable seed of the word of truth called to become the house of the imperishable bread. The bread that comes from, um, from above, this is the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh or that is born in the temple of our body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. We know that about David, God said to prophet Samuel, I found a man after my own heart. The name David means loved, beloved by God. Jesus reveals himself through Apostle John. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And so, this meaning, the meaning uh, in these names, the name David also means demonstration or evidence or a sign. And so a person that is loved by God is a person that have, has uh, accomplished the redemption of Christ, that accomplished this redemption in his body, which identifies within his heart the imprinted teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. And so such a person, he is the one that will be <clears throat> a sign on earth. A person that is loved by God in Christ Jesus will be uh, differed by God from the others or separated because he will. people will see on him God's love. Indeed, I will make those of the, of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Revelations 3.9 the next component identifying the unearthly joy within our heart is identified as one of three unique virtues that identify the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Romans 14, 17, 18, joy is a quality and atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven in Hebrew means laughter, excitement, joy, celebration, a feast in honor of a victory, perfection or the perfect balance of perfection, and an absence of sorrow. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones, Proverbs 17.22. 
we need to not confuse uh, laughter uh, or making fun of so with oh, and laughter these are two different things because when you're laughing making fun of and laughing with making fun of someone and when you're laughing are two different things blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be filled blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh Luke 6 21 and so you will stop weeping and you will begin to laugh Medics have come to the conclusion that sincere laughter is able to uh, medicate a person as it begins to activate a mechanism inside it, it begins to activate uh, a form of uh, resistance to the illness. And so if that's the case, then it's especially if we have a joy that is from the Lord, what it will do for you and your body. Here's one of some of the sayings that are written about philosophers and po politics about laughter. Laugh is, is a wonderful means. This is one of the humble things on earth. This is an... The laughter is uh, the sun. It removes the winter from the human face. If I think, then I laugh. One who laughs, he forgives all. It's sooner that you will laugh instead of that you be sad. You can la laugh with the one <clears throat> that you can work with. Laughter without reason is a sign of a good mood. Even if there's a reason for laughter, then laugh in, cre in credit. Tell me what a nation laughs about, and I'll tell you for what they're ready to shed their blood for. It is not possible to have to truly love someone who doesn't truly laugh. A person is the only one that is able to laugh, although he is the one that laughs the least. And so practically, righteousness as an identification of the kingdom of God within the heart is the foundation from which these virtues as peace and joy in the Holy Spirit come. And so righteousness that is not a demonstration of upright joy is not able to be called righteousness, just as joy that is not a demonstration of true righteousness that stands guard of the boundaries of God's holiness is not able to be called joy. The next component, identifying unearthly joy as an identification of the kingdom of heaven in our heart, is one of the components of the fruits of our spirit that is grown from the seed of the received by us uh, <clears throat> justification of Christ Jesus. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5.22-23 Righteousness that is not able to be confirmed by the demonstration of having the above qualities is not able to be called righteousness. Amen. Let us bend our knees and pray, and we will thank the Lord for the word that we were able to have today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
again and again, I thank you for the opportunity to be upon this holy place, the place of joy and gladness. Because you already overcame hell and death within our bodies. You already overcame corruption and death in our body and you already gave to have given to us and placed upon our account in Christ Jesus this victory and we've put it into our heart and it is clearly written upon our heart and you as the reader are able to easily read that we are carriers of this wonderful celebration the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ May your mercy be a blessing for your people in this unique promise that is filled with upright joy. May it give its power and its strength and may it heal your people and lift them up from the depths of disappointment and from the dust of mockery and hate. And may your glory come in this joy because you called this joy your glory a person who does not have this joy does not have your glory either and does not have you then you wanted your children to be different from those in this world that attempt to use joy so that they not think about the coming death because they don't know what will happen after this life. But you are alive and our soul is alive and we know what will be after this life that is already within us. We know what will be and that we go to you and that we not necessarily will die but in these last days you will perform your great miracle and finally you will erect within the temple that is yours your stronghold of righteousness stronghold of eternal life this was your very first uh, goal for which you created the visible universe and created man and given all visible creation to him you did this so that the body of a person would become your temple. You were preparing your temple. And I thank you that if the first Adam was not able to become your temple, the second Adam in to whom you put the into whom you put the first Adam, these clothes of skin was able to. I thank you, God of heaven and earth, in Jesus Christ, that your church has prepared herself for this great promise. And the coming about of this great promise, we received your justification as an unchanging gift of grace. And you have explained to us so that the devil not scare us and not condemn us. If we do something wrong, if our words are not always c 
correct or according to the truth immediately to take our words back. You said that the righteous may fall seven times but rise again. The unclean will fall and not rise again. I thank you for this trust for this joy I worship together with your holy nation upon this place our great God Son and Holy Spirit Amen our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever Amen <laughs>